few passages of scripture. So in case you don't know the story, you kind of get the synopsis of this story of Ruth. It starts in Ruth 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. That man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites uh, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other woman married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. Yikes. That left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So who's left? Just the ladies. Okay. So she has Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. Verse 8 says, on the way, jumping down, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness that you've shown not only to your husbands, but to me too. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. And she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Verse 14 says, and again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law's already gone. You need to do the same. Get going. Go home. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave and you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Wherever you die, I'm going to die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Wow, that's pretty ded this dedication. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And then you go into the second chapter, Ruth, it says, There was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind it. Anybody who's kind enough to let me do it. And she says, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Verse 14, at the meantime, Boaz called to her when he saw her at one point working out in the field. He said, come over here and, and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She had all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men to let her gather grain among the sheaves without stopping her and pull some of the heads of barley bundles and drop them on purpose. This is Old Testament flirting. <laughs> I wish it would have been this easy at Bible college that I met my wife and I just dropped, dropped some of the barley stalks. Jackie could have came behind and picked him up. and Now, she would have been like, pick him up yourself. What are you doing? So, uh, so Ruth, uh, so she carried it back to the town. So Ruth gathered barley all day in verse 17. When she beat the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from the meal. And where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. She knew somebody was helping. 
So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today, his name is Boaz. I just already imagined. See the Bible? I like a good love story. Read the Bible. I just see this. His name was Boaz. <laughs> don't even act like you ladies don't talk about guys when you go home and you see one you like. So... May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Today, I just want to speak for a short time, hopefully, we'll see, on the family redeemer. The Old Testament book of Ruth is really a story of hope and love. And it's one of the most beautiful stories not just because of his place in history, but it's also a beautiful and amazing story because of what it points to, to us as the church of the living God. It represents something more than just a love story about a woman who lost her first husband and got remarried. And got, no, it's more than that. It points to Jesus Christ and a Gentile bride. And so Jesus takes a Gentile bride that was not even though maybe he created us first, we had one wayward. And the promise was not initially to us, it was to the Jews. But he said, I'm going to go ahead and redeem and claim a bride and make her my own. And so the events of the book of Ruth take place in the days where the judges governed. Another purpose of this book is to trace the lineage of uh, all the way back to Jesus, or all the way forward to Jesus Christ. And it's by no accident that the blood of Ruth actually ran through the veins of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Remember that, because that's significant. It's interesting, an interesting note about the setting of this narrative is, is it's taking place in a harvest field. Not only did Jesus talk regularly in the, in the New Testament parables about harvest fields, and, and he used them, and he, he's teaching on the Sabbath day, and he's, he's constantly telling parables and even walking through harvest fields. But the harvest field is a perfect setting for the Feast of Harvest, which is where the New Testament church was born, a day on, on which the New Testament church was born. This, this day opened the door for salvation, not to be only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. And this is exactly what happens in Ruth when Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, is eventually married to a Jew named Boaz. Now, at the beginning of our story, we read that Ruth's daddy, Elimelech, took his family, um, well, her daddy-in-law, took his family and left Bethlehem, Judah, went to Moab. And Bethlehem means house of bread, and Judah means praise. Now, when times get rough, Elimelech and Naomi took their young family out of a place of praise and provision and went into a foreign land where they were not called to live. I'll repeat that. He took his family out of a place of praise and provision and took them into a, fam into an, a land where they were not called to live. What a mistake, I believe, Naomi and Elimelech made. Even though they left a famine, we can never leave God's house to seek blessing and provision in a world that we are called to remain separate from. And that's a trap that many people get caught in when times get rough, and they will at times. You'll be attending a church, you'll be serving God, doesn't matter if you're in from out of town and go to a different church. At some point in your life, times will get tough, rough, 
and you'll say, God, what's going on? I'm not sure. I'm uncertain what my next step is. But many people will make the mistake of leaving the house of God in the place of praise, and they will go and begin to look for answers and fulfillment and provision in a place outside the house of God in place of praise. And God promises, though, you keep me first, I'll take care of everything. Elimelech and Naomi experienced this firsthand. They not only took their sons out of God's land and out of a place of praise, they took them into a land filled with sin. And to top it all off, they permitted their sons to marry Moabite women. Now, in the, in the Bible times, God very clearly said that that was something that was 100% against his law. They were not to marry Moabite women. And so famine brought hardship, though, and because look what they named their sons. They named their sons Malon, which means sick, and Chilion, which means getting sick. And in the Bible times, the name was everything. So imagine that every time, all right, we're going into town, go get sick and getting sick. I mean, how would you like that? That's, that was the time in which they were living in, that they, uh, yep. It's a rough time. We're going to name our firstborn sick, secondborn getting sick. How depressing. It was who you were, your name. This is also why after Naomi loses her husband and her two sons and has less than what she had before, which wasn't a lot to begin with, she says in Ruth 1.20, don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. Guess what Mara means? Bitter. Don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. How would you like that? Want to live in that home? You got a mom named Bitter? Two kids that died that were sick and getting sick? I don't want to be a part of this family. But yet they say they serve the Almighty God. Just remember that for when you walk into the community... And you say, I serve the Almighty God, but you look like bitterness and your kids are sick and getting sick, okay? I know, I personally know some people I'd like to call them bitter, but we won't go there. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Isn't that interesting that sometimes we go through tough times and even the strongest believers, the people who know best, blame God. Why you, you did this? Why did you let this happen? And instead of saying, man, it's tough. I'm not saying it's not tough. Things are tough. I don't have the answers. But I know I serve a God that if I go through the famine, he's going to figure out a way to feed me. If I go through tough times, he's going to figure out a way to provide for me. If I go into a battle, he's going to figure out a way to give me victory. I don't always have the answers, but I serve a God who always figures out a way. And so God was intending for Naomi not to live in bitterness, but to bring her through that season. If anything, he may have just been intending her to get her out of that land of sin back home to a place where he can once again provide for her. And as it's amazing. God loves you enough. You could be here in person watching online. God loves you enough that you think you got all figured out, but you're in a tough time. God will purposely, intentionally do things 
does he let this happen? Sometimes he's going to do things to drive you to your knee to call out to him in prayer. Why? Because he loves you so much and he wants you back home. And so I love that in the Bible, the very next verse after Naomi says, call me Mara, the Bible says, so Naomi returned to Moab. She's like, I'm bitter. God's done this. Don't even call me Naomi. My name is bitter. Boom. Next verse. So Naomi returned. Satan knows you. You see, the Bible sends a message. No, you will not be bitter. You are pleasant, and I gave you that name. And, and, and Satan knows you by your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. So even when Naomi falls short, God still sees for her what she can be. I'm thankful that God still looks at us, even when we're saying, I'm bitter, life's tough, I don't have the answers, where are you, God? That he looks at us and says, I'm still going to call you by the name that I gave you because I see something in you even when you don't see it in yourself. And when someone leaves the blessing of God to go back to the world, it really does, it really does tend to make them bitter. I see this regularly, and of course I can't say because I see this, this is all the case in all the world, but from my personal experience, what I've often seen is this kind of bitterness when someone will walk away from holiness. They don't typically, typically they won't walk away and keep their mouth shut. They usually want to shout from the rooftops about the newfound freedom they found from legalism of the church. All that is, is just someone who used to hold a standard for themselves, relinquishing that and letting the bitterness come out. Because it's usually, if you do your research and have a conversation, and that person will speak candidly with you, somewhere along the line, someone hurt them. They didn't handle it correctly. They didn't go to the person. And oftentimes, it's a person that stands in, in a pulpit. And so that's like a voice of God in their life. And that message or something that was said or done or not said or not done, it caused bitterness, anger, resentment to the point where if not handled properly, I walk away from everything and shout from the rooftop about my newfound freedom because I don't have to follow that stuff that that church preaches. Which if you're only following something because the church preaches it and you're just stuck there, that you're doing it for the wrong reason anyway. Really... God should convict the heart and make the changes. I'm going to preach biblical principles, but you can attend this church from here till eternity, till the Lord comes back for his church. And you will never hear me say, well, if you're going to be a part of here, you need to talk this way and act this way and dress this way. And if you don't, you can't worship it. You worship here looking and doing whatever you want to do, okay? Now I'm going to preach biblical principles, and there's certain levels of leadership that you won't be able to step into because we hold a certain standard here for our leadership and our teams and things like that, just like any other job in the nation. But my prayer is that as we preach truth and gospel and the word, that as you pray, that you in your personal prayer time, God's going to begin to, to, to put some things in your heart and you'll see some things and you hit some things will kind of come to life in his word, either through your reading or through the preached word to where you go, man, I want to make some changes. It's not because somebody's beating you over the head saying, you got to change, you got to do this. That's a cult. We're not a cult here, but we're going to preach what God's word says. And then God's, if your heart's open, 
God's going to begin to deal with you about various changes to make in your life. And that's the beauty of a journey with Jesus Christ is where you were two months ago, it's going to look different two months later down the road. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm going deeper in God because God's teaching me things and showing me things and taking me places. Amen? Just like he does for all of us. And so, um, but this journey as, as for them as they walked away and they went and they left the place of provision and praise and, and now they're trying to make their way back home. You don't get there overnight. If you're here, if you're watching online and you're like, you know what, I've fallen a little bit. I feel like I'm not where I used to be. Well, don't just expect you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're, you, you fell away over here and you used to be there and tomorrow you're just going to be right back over there. No, it's a journey for Ruth and for Naomi. It, it was being intentional about, okay, I got I to begin to head back home. I, I got to turn my eyes back toward where I, 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 I once was, but I left that place. Ladies, sometimes it takes moving back in with your mother-in-law. There was like a nervous laugh in the sanctuary just now. So they finally get to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, house of bread. And Naomi's content to just sit around, call me Mara. I'm bitter, I'm bitter. God let me down. I'm back home, finally forget it, I'm bitter. People do this sometimes. Instead of getting out and praying, getting in the community, working, get back on their feet sometimes, we can be guilty of sitting around and having a pity party, or in Naomi's case, a bitter party. Ruth says, Naomi, let me go out into the harvest field. Now, I wonder why she said that. I wonder if she felt God dealing with her, or was it literally just, my mother-in-law is whining and being bitter and driving me crazy, and I would be willing to go work in a field rather than sit in this house. But she says, let me go into the harvest field. I could preach a whole message on that if I could title it. I would say, let me go into the harvest field. Pretty creative, huh? But how often are we sitting in our houses whining, frustrated, bitter, and life could change if we would just get our hands back into the harvest? See, too many Christians sitting around going, where is God? What's he doing? When is he going to hear my prayer? And God already has your blessing, your provision, the answers to your prayer. They're already all lined up. Guess where they are? They, they're out in the harvest field. If anything good is going to happen, if something good is happening, I should say if nothing good is happening in what we're doing, then guess what we need to do? We need to do something different. Sometimes the best way bitterness is lifted and when you, is when you actually engage yourself in something else. If you're here today, I'm telling you, God wants to do something today. You're talking about freedom. We're singing about freedom. We're celebrating freedom as a nation. One of the things that, that God wants to free you from is bitterness. There is no way, hear me, there is no way that you will ever be what God wants you to be if you're holding on to bitterness. And I know 
Bitterness, it's so easy to see in someone else. It's harder to see in ourselves. So when I say that, you're just like, yeah, I hope so-and-so is listening. Oh, man, she's not here today. She could have used that. Like, we think about other people. Stop thinking about other people. Stop thinking about your spouse. Stop thinking about your kids, your parents. Stop thinking about the person behind you, in front of you, inside you. Just go, hey, am I bitter about anything? Is there anything in my heart that really I kind of tend to, whoa, whoa. Like, I, I jump on and words just come out of my mouth, either about something or someone and there's bitterness in there maybe that's God just revealing some things because we will never be what God has called us to be until we can release bitterness and one of the ways you can release bitterness is to stop focusing on the bitterness and get back in the harvest field It's in the harvest field that Ruth meets Boaz. Now, Boaz was a type of Christ, the Lord of that harvest, and a mighty and well-respected man who noticed Ruth and looked out for her. He treated her kindly when she was not even aware of it at first. He was working things in her favor, even when she did not understand. Boy, does that sound familiar? That we serve a redeemer, that we serve a Lord of the harvest who at times when we're just walking through the field and we're just toiling and carrying, the, just trying to pick up remnants going, how, we, how am I going to make it? I don't even know what my future holds. I don't even know if I promise I lost. I, I feel like I lost everything. I got no hope for a future. My life is just, I'm, I got to go back home. What do I get to go home with? To a bitter mother-in-law. That's it. Just keep working. Just keep working, you know. But God is working on our behalf before we even realize that God is working on our behalf. He's working on our behalf. And God asks for this, this thing, Boaz. Look at, look at the, in, in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my fields. Now, I was attracted when I first saw my wife. I still am attracted to her. But I pretty much asked her not to go into any other fields, too. But I didn't call her my daughter because that would have been a weird start. And times change. Young men, if you're looking for a date, don't walk up and say, my daughter. It's not going to get you places. And as much as I understand and appreciate, you probably still don't want to say, don't go into any other fields. The Lord promises to provide for us, but he's a jealous God. And Boaz is that type of Christ. And so Boaz says, hey, I, may, I will make sure that you're provided for, but you need to trust me because I know in your heart you want to go and search out all the fields and you want to gather the remnants from each of the fields. And you don't want to wear out a welcome here, but hear me when I say, I want you to stay in this field, in this field alone. Don't go try and search all the other fields, but you're going to have to trust me that I will make sure that you will be provided for in this field. And God looks at us and says, I know you're looking for all kinds of things, but if you will just put your attention on me, 
and you will stick with me and not try to look other places. People do this in relationships sometimes. They look around their church and there's not enough choices and so they stress out and they feel like they need to go into a different field. Listen, God can connect a Wisconsin boy with a California girl. It's a testimony, okay? <laughs> God will take care of things. He will work things out. But he's looking, and this is not just relationships. This is not just marriage. God is saying, hey, work my field. Don't try and go anywhere. I will take care of you. But you got to trust me because I'm a jealous God. He says, he says that in the beginning. And get this, in the name of Boaz means in him is strength. They were, there, there was an invitation here from Boaz to Ruth. And look how Ruth accepted the invitation in Ruth 2.10. Ruth fell at his feet. By the way, that never happened in my, my relationship either. I approached her in the dinner line at Christian Life College in California. I said, hey, no other fields, just stay in this one. And she set her dinner down and just went down. And... <laughs> that really never happened. So she asked, she says, she, she says, well, I am only a foreigner. What have I done to deserve this kindness? I'm a foreigner. You're a Jew. I'm from the land of Moab. I'm, I don't even belong here, yet you're showing me kindness. When we accept the invitation from Christ for grace and mercy, we are willing to fall at his feet. He spreads his mercy over us. How many of you are like me and can relate to bowing before Christ and going, what have I done to deserve such blessing. You have set me free. You've delivered me. If I told you my dad's story, what you ended up, you changed our family name, our family line, where I would have been heading. God, what? And now I look at my kids standing and worshiping you and involved in ministry. God, I am so blessed and I don't deserve this, God. She knew she was a Moabite, yet Boaz was saying, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And he was even willing to do more than that for her. That all being said, Ruth still had to not only show up, but she had to glean in the field. I know we say, well, God's going to provide. I'm going to kick back and let God provide. But Boaz still was not saying, I'll gather it for you and drop it off at your house. God wants to provide for us, but he's still calling his people to get the basket, get your hands dirty, and go out to the field. I will bless your efforts, but I'm not just going to do the work for you and bring it to your house. That's a whole nother message I could preach. I don't know what I'd call that one, though, but need some more time. There are two key words used in the story of Ruth, and that is kinsman and redeemer kinsman and redeem. Kinsman is used 13 times in the book of Ruth, and it means one who redeems. Since her husband was dead, the nearest male relative to Ruth's husband was in position to be the kinsman redeemer. He would buy back the land and then marry Ruth to keep the land and the family from becoming extinct. If the nearest kin could not do it, then the next of kin would have the opportunity. Now, if you're saying, I don't want to live in this day and age, listen, there's some weird stuff about living in a different day and age too, okay? So, yeah, you would just say, all right, hey, you know what? You, yeah, you know, she's, she's pretty. That's a nice piece of land. Yeah, I'll go ahead and 
I'll go ahead and take over that land, marry her, and call it a day. Try and come home and tell your wife that. Well, the Bible says, I mean, the law, I got to do it, you know. Yeah, not going to work in this day and age. So in Ruth's case, the next of kin said, I am not interested. There was somebody in front of Boaz. Imagine the nerves. Boaz is like, I'm nervous. She's caught my eye. I've been providing. So he goes, hey, man, you're, you're, you're up next. He says, I'm not interested. I don't want that piece of land. I'm not now. So now it falls to Boaz. And Boaz wanted the land, and he wanted Ruth. And he didn't, you know, honestly, I take that back. He didn't even care about the land. He just wanted Ruth. Let me read the story. So often we think that we have to get good to get God. I've heard this. I've had people come up to an altar, and they say, I want the Spirit of God in my life. I want to receive the Holy Ghost, but I'm just, I got to get some things right. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name, but there, I, I, I'm, I'm really working on getting some of this stuff out of my life. Before I get into that water, I got to get this right. Show me scripture for that concept. When you read stories, there said, here's water. What hinders me? It was always, there were no delayed baptisms in the New Testament. There was never, when God called someone, when God wanted to wash away sin, he never said, uh, step on up, could I have all your resume? I want to I have your references. I got to do a background check before we can even get you in the water. There's some things I got to look into. Like, that is not the God that we serve. The God that we serve says, hey, I want to provide for you. You're gleaning my field. I want to make you my bride. I want you to take on my name, and this is the place you do it in the waters of baptism. And so... And you look at this in Ruth 2.9, he says, see which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. This was not the norm back then. Somebody else worked hard to draw water from the well. You could imagine someone, I mean, that. Imagine today, someone buys a bottle of water, takes a drink, sets it down, and you walk up and open the bottle and say, man, that's good water. That's not going to work out real well for you here in modern day society. Well, back then, they, they, they'd lower the, get the water out of the well, and she would just walk up and say, thank you, and just start drinking the water. But he says, no, no, don't worry about it. I've already notified the men that are drawing the water that you are welcome. Why? Because... When the kinsman redeemer speaks to someone that he's interested in pursuing, there's an open door to the water. Because the kinsman redeemer says, no, 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 no. I want you to understand that you are in my field. I got my eye on you. And I want you to know that when you're ready for water, there it is. And it's wide open for you. So if you've here and you've never been filled, you've never been washed in the water, never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, hey, today's the day that the, the waters, it's wide open to you. <laughs> Boaz was prepared to do a lot more than just protect and provide. And as a potential bride, Ruth wanted more than just protection and provision. She wanted relationships. She wanted intimacy. Folks, if all you're ever asking God for is protection and provision. If Ruth would have said, 
I'm not interested in anything. But if you could just always give me food and protect me, that's cool. That's all I want. If that's our prayer to God, all I ever want is protection and provision. I'm not really interested in spending time with you. If I have a need, I'll come find an altar. I'll beg you for some stuff then. But until then, I'll call you when I'm ready. That's not the relationship God's interested in. We're not fit to be a bride if that's the way we view him. You see, Ruth wanted that, and so did Boaz. They wanted the intimacy. They, Boaz became the family redeemer, but in order to do that, Boaz had to pay a price for his bride. Just as God wants to redeem his people, he had to pay a price to redeem us. And he did just that on Calvary. The law required that Boaz allow Ruth to glean in the field, but he went above and beyond what was he was supposed to do as a kinsman redeemer. God could have just said, fine, fine, I'll forgive your sins. But he said, no, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to shed blood. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to wash away your sins. I'm going to hear your prayer of repentance. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, that you can be in that same place with me. He went far above and beyond anything he was supposed to do as a redeemer. He loved us so much that he said, and we'll pay the price. You see, what a tremendous story and type of Jesus Christ redeeming his Gentile bride. Boaz and Ruth were married and bitter Naomi was comforted and happy. Yes. It always pays to return to God. You see, Ruth and Boaz had a son. He had a son named Obed. And Obed grew up, and Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse grew up and had a son named David. Ruth's great-grandson was King David, a man after God's own heart. <laughs> you ever look... At some people that you respect, look at your own life, look at your family, and go back to the first person who made a stand for God. You ever look at some of these great music ministers, singers, preachers, children's ministry directors, and you go, wow, someone somewhere made a stand. What happens? Do we know King David like we know King David? If there's not a Moabite woman who said to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm going to do whatever you do. I'm going to go get in the harvest field. And, and, and Boaz, I caught his attention, and, and, and he has redeemed my family. He has not only redeemed me, but he redeemed my entire family name. When God saw you, it was not only about redeeming you. It was about redeeming your entire lineage your great-grandchildren, children that are not even born yet, children who are going to step up and lead churches across America, who are going to teach and invest in children, who are going to lead worship, who are going to preach, who are going to be missionaries, children that, that they haven't even had yet, but their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents made a stand, in the, and they had a family redeemer that came, and they took that name on in the waters of baptism. And now there's parts of the world that will never be the same because of a redeemer that redeemed a family name. 
you see, you know what else is? I'm almost, almost finished. The field where Ruth gleaned is called the field of the shepherds. It's the same field where the angels of the Lord appeared unto the shepherds proclaiming the birth of Jesus Christ. fields where she gleaned are the same fields where the angels appeared and said, behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy because the blood that flows through the veins of this baby that is born is the same blood. If you go way back to a man named Boaz and a woman named Ruth, and Ruth is even one of the few females listed by name in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew genealogy. And as I close, I already mentioned that Ruth was King David's great-grandmother. It's a very important piece of information in the Bible. We just say, oh, that's interesting, cool. I'll use that on my next Bible trivia night. But it's more than that. The writer of Ruth literally refers to her as Ruth the Moabite five separate times in the book, the book of Ruth. Five times. Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. When you walk into the Jewish land and you're called Ruth the Moabite, ain't nobody doing you any favors. Why is that? The Bible tells us in Genesis 19 about their history. The father of the Moabites was born out of a drunken stupor of incest between Lot and his daughter. He made his daughter pregnant after she got him drunk and a baby named Moab was born. You can understand why you throw that name around Israel culture. They're like, oh yeah, Ruth the Moabite. No, no, that's not exactly celebrated. His other daughter had a son who was the father of the Ammonites. This is the, this is the history that Ruth has to be proud of. But how many of you can relate to Ruth and maybe you got a history today that you're not so proud of? You say, I, I prefer not to share my story. Yet Boaz and Ruth marry and the son named Obed, and eventually a great-grandson named David. But you check out this clear-cut Jewish law from the Law of Moses in Deuteronomy 23. It says no Ammonite, specific, all right, because that was born out of sin. That, no, uh-uh. Ain't no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for 10 generations can be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. There it is, cut and dry. No, 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 no. Moabite, Ammonite, ain't coming into the assembly of the Lord, not for 10 generations. That kind of sin, we keep that junk out of here. And years later, while other Israelites were taking it for granted because I've been born in this, ah, oh, yeah, I've known this my whole life. Psalm 84 tells us 
that David says, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's a neat verse, but when you know the story, it kind of becomes a little more powerful. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Why? Because David knew. Hang on a second. My great-grandma is only about four generations. I don't have a right to be in God's presence based on who I am and what I've done, my family name, where I come from. I don't have a right. I have no right to whisper a prayer and have God hear me. I have no right to approach an altar. I have no right to gather in a building in an assembly and sing songs of praise to the Lord where he actually bows an ear to hear me. I have, I have no right. I, 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 legally, I can't even come into God's presence. But, but wait. I was redeemed. I was redeemed. Someone saw something, and Boaz said, hey, I reached out. No, 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 you're no longer Ruth the Moabite. You are now Ruth, the, hus the, the wife of Boaz. And this Moabite woman not only redeems the whole family, and Boaz redeems the whole family, but her name is literally listed as a female Moabite in the New Testament book of Matthew listed by name in the lineage of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. David wasn't supposed to be worshiping in the house of the Lord and here he is leading the Ark of the Covenant back home becoming a man after God's own heart and leading God's people into physical and spiritual restoration. Imagine how Ruth and even David must have felt, how quickly they went from hopeless to hope, one where they were supposed to be an outcast because of a failed and sinful past, but then a redeemer stepped in and made a way. You and I have no right to be in God's presence today. The only reason that we can just come boldly before the throne of grace and not have to work through someone else and hope that one day God might hear a prayer that somehow through the line I got sent and maybe it went in. No, I can right now, you can right now close an eye and begin to whisper a prayer that Jesus Christ is in tune to. He is interested in you. He has his eye on you. He wants to put his name upon you in the waters of baptism. He wants to redeem you of your past, anything that you have done and haven't done. He looks at you and says, I see something special 
and I will take on flesh. I'll pay a price. I'll shed blood. Why? Simply because I want to redeem that, not only that person, but their children, their children's children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren. I want to redeem them because I want the whole family to be able to come into my presence. I know, oh yeah, but they're not, they're not worthy of it. That's the beauty of the thing that we celebrate called grace is it's the unmerited favor of God that he died on that cross to redeem each and every one of us and make a way for us and for our family. I invite you today to stand to your feet and to just begin to find a place to pray, to celebrate the beauty of this freedom, and that is the freedom to come into his presence, for him to hear your voice, for him to say, I see something special. I, I want to redeem that person and their family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being our family redeemer today, Lord. Thank you, God. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide.